This is a Sunday uh, with a lot of conflicted emotions for me. Uh, some, of it, some of it joy and some of it uh, sadness. This will be the last uh, Sunday that I have opportunity to speak here if the weather's good next week, uh, and we pray that it will be. I uh, was thinking of that particular hymn that we just sang, and I don't know how many of you are familiar with the hymn story behind it, but it's really quite powerful. Uh, I have to say I've forgotten the name of the author, but I know the circumstances. Uh, he was an entrepreneur in Chicago. Uh, he had uh, an opportunity to make it big, seemingly, and it didn't happen. And uh, his business world was kind of crumbling, but not to the point that he didn't have enough resources to send his wife and his family over to England to kind of get a reprieve from all the tension that they were going through. Well, on the way, and ship travel in those times was not uh, safe always. Uh, the ship was in a horrible wreck, and his wife and all of their family uh, perished. Uh, I think it was actually after the death of a child back in Chicago as well. So he, he was devastated, needless to say. Uh, took a while to regroup, and obviously a man of faith, or else he could never have authored what we just sang. But eventually he determined that he should go over to England uh, himself and uh, was on the same track, if you will, as his family had been. And when they finally got to the place uh, or an approximate place of where the, the wreck had taken place, he penned the words of that particular hymn, It Is Well With My Soul. And I think it's, it's a great testimony to us that in whatever circumstances we find ourselves, if we keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, uh, the author and the perfecter of our faith, and as we look at him today through the image of the Good Shepherd, you know, we can trust that God will get us through. And, uh, you know, this is a, a turbulent time, uh, you know, a change point for our church uh, in more ways than we might prefer, but the Good Shepherd is with us, and I wanted to have an opportunity to talk to you and remind you uh, of all of that. So uh, let's pray, and then I'm going to have you, uh, uh, well, you can't do two things at once well, so let's just pray first, all right? Lord, we, uh, we just bow humbly before you, asking that you would let your word speak to us you know, in its own marvelous and mysterious ways. Let your spirit speak truth and grace into each of our lives as we're open to receive it. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, if you have your pew Bible uh, that you'd like to access, uh, it's page 759. <clears throat> if you have your own Bible, it's John 10, verses 1 through 11, and then 14 through 15. Ready? Almost? Okay. The words of Jesus. 
as best John could remember them with the help of the Spirit. Very, very truly, I tell you, Pharisees, anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate, climbs in by some other way, is a thief and a robber. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them, and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. Jesus used this figure of speech, but the Pharisees did not understand what he was telling them. Therefore, Jesus said, Very truly I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Now to verse 14. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep, and my sheep know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for my sheep. I noticed something this week as I was uh, zeroing in on this passage, and the reason I did this particular sermon was because last Sunday, at the end of the message, uh, I found myself praying with you uh, some of the imagery of the 23rd Psalm, which can be a great comfort. And then I just felt drawn to sort of take a look at, you know, how Jesus underscored, you know, the Father's, his Father in Heaven's intention for him to serve as the good sheep, uh, good shepherd, excuse me, that was referenced under the Old Covenant. And what I discovered when I looked at this passage was that uh, from John's perspective, it was the last public preaching that Jesus did. And then I went back to the other Gospels, and, you know, I remember different things that Jesus was teaching, the parables about the sheep and the goats and the talents that are enumerated in what are called the synoptic Gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke, which may be too much information, but all that being said, there was a public uh, there was a final public statement in all of the Gospels, and interestingly enough, it dealt with uh, the Pharisees and Jesus' contention with them, if you will, about, you know, the manner in which he was drawing his sheep to understand, if you will, his followers to understand what it was that God was most interested in. And I think it's, it's important for us to see that one of the, the radical changes that we see from the Old Covenant to the New Covenant as lived out by Jesus was that it was moving away from rules and ritual, per se, not that they can't speak to us, but to relationship. And I think that's what this particular uh, uh, 
understanding of the shepherd and the sheep is about is for us to understand that most of all, God wants a relationship with each of us and for us to feel a sense of being a part of the flock under his leadership. And so uh, as I, I want you to dismiss any thought that this is about, you know, the shepherding role that I've had in the church because the shepherding role I've had has only been, you know, minuscule in terms of what the good shepherd would have us as a congregation be focused on uh, for such a time as this. The, uh, the Old Testament certainly reinforces uh, again and again beyond the 23rd Psalm that, uh, that we are the sheep of his pasture, you know. He tends, us like a, he tends his flock like a shepherd, you know. Those are expressions out of both the Psalms and Isaiah. Now, what stood out to me first of all, and I hope I'm not extrapolating too much from uh, this text here, but I, I, it just caught me that when Jesus began his teaching, you know, he said, very truly. And in, I remember in the, in the King James Version, you, you know, listening to it through the years, verily, verily, I say unto you. You know, it's like, okay, this, he's serious about this. You know, he has, uh, he has a definitive perspective that he is wholly confident about. And he's talking to the Pharisees about, you know, the whole issue of, you know, how you are to connect with uh, the people of God's pasture, the sheep of his pasture. And I think it's, you know, the imagery of this was very common in the minds of the people listening to Jesus. Uh, They knew the deal, the shepherd and the sheep. They understood it better than any of us will sitting in this room, I presume, uh, one of the books that some of you might really find in, inspiring uh, on this particular subject is uh, Philip Keller's book, uh, A Shepherd Looks at the 23rd Psalm. And uh, I've gone to it. In fact, I've been to the library uh, two or three times in the last couple of years just to kind of draw some insight that uh, I think helps us to understand this. Uh, Keller, when, he, when he's talking here about the pen... Uh, as I read it, it was oftentimes uh, something that was constructed uh, almost spontaneously at the end of the day when, when things grew dark and night came. And they would kind of, he would try to find a little crevice or a canyon of sorts that uh, uh, he could back the sheep into. And then he would build kind of a shelter around uh, the front of that with a gate that was accessible, you know, for the shepherd. The, the major focus of this first piece is that he wants, he wants the sheep to be mindful of the fact that they need to protect themselves from outside influences and not to be dissuaded. Now, in, in this case, Jesus was concerned about, in that particular time, an invasion of, you know, the, the law and that we needed to earn our salvation and do everything that the, the law told us to do, and only if we were obedient would God save us. And, and Jesus wanted them to have an understanding of grace that would ultimately be fulfilled, you know, on the cross and in the resurrection, you know, that would free people up from trying to earn their salvation, but rather receive it as a gift and live their lives in response to it. So he was concerned about uh, how 
the, the Pharisees might impose influence on, uh, on his flock. Today, I'm not sure. I mean, we, we live in a modern desert that's a bit different than that. It's not so much that, you know, the church today is, uh, is being reeled in to be, uh, let's earn our salvation. What, what our... Uh, the thief that would come into our ranks, you know, would be a thief that says God is irrelevant and uh, there are no rules. You know, everybody does what they want to do. Uh, uh, you can believe what you want to believe. And there's that sense of influence from without that is just pulsating into our lives. You know, I, I see it in particular with, uh, with the media of today. I almost brought in, I've threatened to do this all of my ministry and it never happened here, a listing of just the movies that are on TV in the course of a week, just to read their titles to you, to say, wow, you know, what kind of influence is that having on people? Now, I'm not suggesting that it influences you in this room, but it's a cultural wave of, uh, of violence, of sex, of permissive, per, per, yeah, permissiveness. It's all that says that, you know, it, God is just something that you, at best you can compartmentalize. And I think it's so important for us to have a sense that Jesus was deeply concerned that we don't treat God is just one of many focuses in our lives, but that we pay attention to the shepherd and not let other influences Im impact us. Um, uh, you heard, uh, if you were here a, a number of weeks ago, Tom Holland during our youth ser service reference, uh, George Barna, who does a lot of research and does quite a bit with uh, high school students. And, and he, was, he did a survey, you know, about where kids today turn uh, in times of tension and confusion and crisis. Now, dads, you that are out there would be pleased to know that you're at least in the top 25, okay? Uh, I think the Lord would like to see that improved. Uh, moms, you're almost in the top 10. Uh, but you know what number one is? Music and personal friendships, you know, that are always at work in times that you can't be there. Now, I, I'm not mitigating, you know, the significance of your influence by any stretch, but when kids think about where they're getting their messages, that's where they, you know, they're, they're marvelous uh, recorders, uh, terrible interpreters, if you will. I think you're having more impact than they realize. Nonetheless, you know, that's how they perceive their world. And I think as, as adults, we have to model a certain kind of intensity, you know, about the fact that we are concerned, you know. And I think as, as parents, as grandparents, we feel that responsibility to be protective. I also think that in the congregation here, it's really critical for us. And I listened to Benny, who's uh, director of our children's ministry, saying, you know, I got to have some more hands on deck if we're going to do a good job of partnering up with families, you know, I need, I need moms and dads and grandmas and grandpas that are willing to come and serve for an hour to help us do what we can do as a congregation to help sort of 
build a hedge of protection around the minds and the hearts of our kids. So God says, uh, as the shepherd, he looks after his scattered flock when he's with them, and I look after my sheep. And, and you need to be a part of that protective uh, dimension of God's care. Then he moves to another image, I am the gate. And uh, Jesus says, uh, again, very truly, I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. Now, in a sense, that's becoming very specific. It's becoming uh, a bit exclusive, if you will. And, And frankly, in the same way before he was saying, I am the truth, there's a sense in which Jesus unapologetically is saying here, I am the way. Now, if there's any challenge for the church today from my vantage point, it's that we need to uh, be unapologetic about our, the exclusive claims of Christ, but in a way that shows respect and appreciation for people who don't necessarily perceive it in that way. You know, I, I, I realize that there are times that you need to be assertive, you know, about what you believe. And God will give you windows of opportunity to do that. But I think most of the time, it's really critical for us, you know, to live out our lives in a fashion so that people will, in times of their need, you know, ask us for the hope that we have within us. And that it's really important for us then to say, let me tell you the what has proven to be the gate for me to understand what it is to live life in its fullness. Because that's really what, you know, Jesus is talking about here is that, uh, you know, through me, you can go in and out of the world, if you will. You can find uh, sustenance uh, and you can find a, a place to explore, you know, the opportunities that God gives you. Uh, but remember to follow, to follow me, and uh, I have come that you might have life and life abundant. I'm looking over here at, at Danelle's family, and her dad is a pastor. Uh, nice to have you with us here today, sir. And uh, all the way from Col- is it still Colorado? Okay. Um, let me just say to you that my call to ministry wasn't because. I was excited about being in the church as an institution, as a, you know, as an entity unto itself. My, the first invitation that I had to get into ministry, you know, came from that hallmark statement of Jesus that he said, I've come to give you not religion, but come to give you life. And that really freed me up somehow to realize that I wasn't going to get into peddling religion, but that I was going to be inviting people to know Christ so that they could understand, you know, the beauty of living under his grace and with the light of his truth in a world that sometimes is dim and dark and uncertain. And I I think it's... That's why I can say with the Apostle Paul... Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind which we can be saved or be kept safe, is is another translation of that. One of Sherry's favorite hymns is 
Make me a captive, Lord, and then I shall be free. Uh, I was reading a story about uh, a Christian layman by the name, someone that I, I wasn't acquainted with by the name of John R. Mott, uh, who during the 20th century spoke uh, to tens if not hundreds of thousands of college students across not only America but the world. And when he was asked about, you know, his Christian uh, faith, uh, his Christian experience, if you will, what was it? He said, it, he defined it this way, it was his capitulation to Christ. It's a pretty big word, but it's just sort of saying, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm giving over how to run my life to the Lord. Make, I want to be a captive of his passion and his understanding of what life is all about. And what was interesting was at the end of his ministry, you know, Mott wrote these words. He said, after being on hundreds of university campuses in more than 80 countries and having seen all the great religions of the world firsthand, you know, something that we would never have the opportunity to do. He said, I know now more than ever that Christ towers over all the movements of history and religion, absolutely unique. He stands erect among the fallen, clean among the defiled, Savior of the world, King of kings. It made me think of another hymn about uh, uh, in the cross of Christ I glory, towering over the wrecks of time. You know, you may... You know, none of us will have the opportunity of a John Armand. But when you encounter Christ and you really start to recognize that he affords you the gate to, to knowing God, uh, the God that you always wanted to know, if the truth were to be told, you know, then, you know, if you'll capitulate, if you'll say, Lord, make me your captive, God will lead you into paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And that sort of takes us to the last declaration of Jesus here. I am the good shepherd. I am the good shepherd. And there are three reasons that sort of pop up in these 15 verses. The first one is I'm a good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Now that gets back to the whole issue of relationship. Do you, you get that? And what's interesting is that it's modeled... The, the last verse I read to you, just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. Uh, we don't do much preaching on the Trinity, but, you know, the God that we understand through the Scriptures is a God of relationship. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, three persons, a sense of, you know, sometimes we think in, in our worldly terms, two is company, three is a crowd, but the three of them got along. <laughs> And they continue to work together. And there's a sense in which, you know, knowing, knowing God and trusting him and his, and his plan for your life is really remarkable. It was interesting that uh, as we sang a portion of Psalm uh, 8 that talked about, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in, in all the earth. You know, it goes down into the psalm to say that, you know, 
what is man? Who am I that you would be mindful of me? But the, the testimony of God's Word, even though it defiles, defies our imagination, is that God knows us, God loves us, and, and God wants the best for us. And even with the, the, how should I say it, the joys of life, and sometimes it's through the crucible of struggle that we get to know God best and to understand how much he cares for us in, in the midst of whatever we're going through. The other thing that stands out is the reason why, you know, he's a good shepherd. He says uh, he goes ahead of them and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. You know, it's the Mideastern shepherd used to sing to his sheep on occasion. Christian music can sing into your heart during the course of a week. Sometimes he would just speak, you know, something that would, that would give the, sh the sheep some sense of security. Uh, sometimes they played a, a little short flute, and each one had kind of their own little uh, code for making certain that the sheep knew that they were close by. I think it's really critical for us, you know, and as a church, I continue to hope that we would grow in helping people to have specific times in the course of the day, usually up front in the day, where you just take some time to look at God's Word and pray for His direction. It doesn't have to be a monumental experience every morning, but just to develop that discipline of establishing a relationship. And that's important. That's where you get to know God, I think, uh, in, in the intimate moments. But, you know, even in the flow of a day, God can speak to you. This past week, uh, and, and in, the, in the most remarkable ways, um, our daughter Erin, our youngest daughter, left uh, our house on Monday for the last time that it would be her house. Now, that may take some of you back to experiences that you've had, but she was leaving for Phoenix, and she'll never come back to Bemis Point and come back home in the way that she would. And so she was emotional about that, as you might expect. And uh, as she was walking through the garage with some tears going down her eyes, who speaks up but little Nora, four going on five, saying, Mommy, God will be with us wherever we go. You know? Now tell me if that isn't God speaking through the mouths of babes, you know. Keep your ears open for what God may say that will help you to understand he's a good shepherd. Now, he I wish he could do that every day for our family. It doesn't always have a memorable dimension, but listen to him. Listen for his direction. Don't close him out. And then, of course, lastly, he said, I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. There's nothing that God wouldn't do to declare his love for you, his forgiveness for you, and his eternal uh, hope for you that couldn't be revealed through Jesus. And that's why, without apology, we talk about Jesus as the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world, that we have, we have the privilege of confessing the things that would discredit us. The enemy that Jesus often referred to him as, we call him Satan or, or the devil, 
has a lot of ploys, but two are really particular, uh, he's particularly good at. First, uh, as, as uh, Satan, he's the accuser, and he'll poke you in the chest as many opportunities as he's get to let you know that you don't deserve, uh, uh, you don't deserve heaven, if you will. You don't deserve the peace of God while you're living out your years. And, and God has said as best as he can with arms stretched open, I forgive you. You have to believe that and begin to forget what lies behind and press on. He also is a deceiver to say, uh, is, is heaven real? Is it, is it a place, really? And, you know, Jesus was risen from the dead to give proof of the fact that there's something more than what we see in this world and that he not only was risen, but he ascended into his father's... He went back home, if you will. And what did he tell us? That I go to prepare a place for you, that where I am, you may be also. Now, the enemy would deceive you to think that you... That can't be. But you know, God has made it as clear as he can through the gift of his son, the good shepherd that came to lead us in the ways everlasting. Now, just so that we don't forget the dads, as I think about all of this, I got three things for the dads here. Number one, stick to, stick to the truth. You know, Jesus is, you know, the way and the truth and the life. Don't feel like you ever have to apologize that for your kids. Just get to understand it more. Number two, listen to his voice, you know. Uh, that's, I think, a really critical component to maturing in our faith is to let his spirit speak into our hearts, uh, especially if you're in the role of parents with kids still at home. You need all the counsel you can get, so keep your ears on. And thirdly, you know, follow his leadership in your life and uh, some of the lambs that are under your influence will learn a lot more about how you are living than by the advice that you're giving. In fact, the advice that you give better match the life that you live or it's the life that you live is going to win and you really don't want that to be. I have one final story that has stayed with me through the years that I think we can apply to dads and and all of you as persons of influence. Uh, it was years ago, and uh, a, there was a pastor in a congregation like, like myself who had a son that was aspiring to go into the ministry and had done some study. And uh, after a number of years, uh, before he even went to seminary, his dad offered him the opportunity to speak on Sunday morning, thinking that would be good. And so he did. And after the service, as you would, might expect, you know, the son of the pastor, when he was finished with his message, every, everyone was gracious, you know, embraced him, encouraged him in a rightful way. But the peculiar thing was that the dad never said anything to him. In fact, he not only didn't say anything to him that day, but for a number of days until it was time to go in, in this era to the train station. Today, we'd say going to the airport. On the way to the airport, we'll say, uh, the son said, Dad, you know, a lot of people have encouraged me, 
you know, uh, since Sunday, but, you know, you haven't said anything. And there was a long pause in the car, and the father said to the son, some people preach in front of the cross, some people preach behind the cross. You know, I I would just say that uh, one of the best definitions of preaching is truth through personality. And in that sense, even though you'd never, most of you would shun the title pastor or preacher, you are all preachers. The question is, are you living your life in front of the cross or behind the cross? Are you holding up, you know, the grace and truth of Christ and living uh, intentionally as a follower of his, one of his flock? And if you are, God will use you mightily. Uh, this has been a great adventure for me for 33 years. Uh, God's done an incredible amount of things in spite of me, not because of me in many instances. But the great adventure for me isn't over. I don't know what it is yet. Just stop asking me, would you please? No. (laughs) But the point is, the great adventure isn't over for you either. God has a great adventure for you to be, you know, one of his followers that is speaking and modeling grace and truth to a hurting world. Don't miss it. I hope I won't in the next chapter, and don't you either. Let's pray. Gracious Lord, thank you for the high calling of Christ. Thank you that even though we didn't accentuate it, as we know we're sheep, we are easily influenced uh, you know, oftentimes uh, resistant uh, and so vulnerable, you know, to other influences. But help us not to apologize for who we're following. Be our good shepherd, one for each of us and for this congregation. Keep, uh, keep us uh, attentive to your voice and forever grateful, you know, for what you have done to bring us life life abundant, and the assurance of life eternal. In your name we pray. Amen. All right, we'll see you next week. Praise on the lake, okay? Great. Thank you.